I'm Rebecca Vega, and this is My Sober Life. Today, I'm going to tell you a story that harks back to last week's episode a little bit. When I first shared that story on the blog many, many years ago, I was really worried and nervous, but I was amazed and fortified by the responses I received. Texts, comments, shares, likes, private messages. It was an incredible display of humanity and beauty and authenticity. And I actually had to stop reading them during the day because I was at work and I would just start crying. (laughs) And I also wanted to give each one the time and consideration it deserved. And I had sent a text to my husband that said, I'm practically in tears at work. I've received so many messages from people today. It's cracking my heart wide open. It was the most feedback I had received up to that point, and my heart was filled with so much joy over all of our shared connections and stories, and it just bolstered my belief that telling our stories is the way we are empowered. Whether it's publicly or not, telling your story releases its power over you and gives that power back to you. It allows others to feel your empowerment and to move toward their own. There are warrior writers who did this for me, and I'm honored to pay it forward. So I love you listeners for your honesty, your gratitude, your integrity, your support, and thank you for that. And because the second half of that story does dominate the narrative, the first part gets kind of buried. So I'm going to jump onto a little bit more about that now, because like many people, I have had experience where consent isn't implicit, but there is no overt statement of dissent. Once you add in peer pressure and not wanting to look weak or scared or God forbid like a prude the worst insult ever, it becomes a convoluted mess. But by definition, it is still sexual assault. And in light of everything that's been going on over the last few years around the national conversation with consent and rape culture, it seems like a good next step in the story. The first time I remember being extremely uncomfortable with a boy was in seventh or eighth grade. That's when boy-girl parties really started kicking off and You have all those weird games where y'all like kiss in front of each other and you kiss everybody and it just is a way that you're trying to figure things out in the beginning. Do I like this? Am I into this? And there were two people who had been in like an on and off boyfriend, girlfriend situation for a while and it was me and my best friend, the oldest friend that I had. I'd known him since we were babies. Our older siblings all went to school together and our parents used to live in the same neighborhood And he and I were in there with this other couple and they were like obsessed with us kissing. And that was sort of like the game, right? But oh my gosh, heart beating out of your chest into your throat and feeling so sick to your stomach. I didn't know how to kiss really. And that was my first French kiss. And I just remember I just like squeezed my eyes shut and opened my mouth and just sat there. I didn't really do anything. And I was so uncomfortable because not only was there this peer pressure to do it, but also you're being watched. There's like, there's no intimacy. I wasn't, I didn't like him like that. We'd been friends forever. So it was so awkward. And I was only, you know, 13 years old, 14 years old. So that was the first time. The next time where I really felt uncomfortable, I was at a girl's house freshman year of high school and I didn't know her all that well. So I wasn't really sure what to expect. And her parents might've been home, but we were all in her basement. There were three girls and three or four boys, and somehow strip poker came up, and I was terrified. I had no experience with this. I had no idea how to play poker, so I I didn't know how to win. 
And the most I'd done was that awkward French kiss with my friend in eighth grade, where, like I said, I just squeezed my eyes shut and opened my mouth while other people stared and counted down 10 seconds. So similar to then, in this situation, I did not want to participate, but I didn't want to get made fun of either. That peer pressure to fit in is so strong. And so I kept watching the clock, hoping upon hope that my dad would come and pick me up early. And finally, I stood up, put my sock and shoes back on and was like, my dad's here. Bye. Thanks. And sprinted up the stairs. And I just sat outside and waited until he arrived. And I'm pretty sure it was winter. So freezing cold was much, much more preferable than sitting in that uncomfortable basement. The next time was a little more serious. I was 16 years old. We were at a party and he was kind of quiet and mysterious, but still handsome in like a dark and brooding kind of way. I think I had a class or two with him and I remember thinking he was cute. We ended up sitting on the couch together in the middle of the living room portion of kind of the open main level. People were everywhere, sitting on the floor, going in and out the back door, hanging out in the kitchen. Everyone could see everyone. It was not a private place. And I don't remember everything from that night. I wasn't drinking because I was driving, so I can't blame that. But I would not be surprised to find out I blocked out a lot of it. And here's what I do remember. I was wearing jeans and a cream-colored t-shirt with a picture of Mickey Mouse on the front. He never tried to kiss me, only to touch me. He touched me on my stomach over the shirt. I did not want him to touch me. When I moved his hand off of me, I laughed, citing the publicness of our location. He then pulled a blanket from somewhere and placed it over us, sheltering us from prying eyes. But the blanket wasn't soundproof, and we weren't anywhere private, so there was commentary, and I could hear it. Then he tried again, this time putting his hand under my shirt, leaving it resting on my stomach. He moved his hand slowly and deliberately up, staring at me while he did. I was sick with fear and anxiety and a pure feeling of just no. But I didn't want to make a scene. But I didn't want to get a reputation. But I didn't want to get called prude. He barely grazed my bra and I finally threw off the blanket and walked away. I had classes with him over the next three years. I would see him in the hall, and I would refrain from conversing with him. But I also lowered my gaze. I would not meet his eyes as though I was ashamed. Even at our 10-year high school reunion, with my husband by my side and my seven-month pregnant belly leading the way, I avoided him. I honestly don't know if I ever told anyone about it. And if I did, I wonder if I mentioned how mortifying it was how much I didn't want it to be happening. Looking back, I'm struck by the fact that he didn't like me. He didn't want to kiss me. He just wanted to put his hand up my shirt. As is normal for any human, I began to question myself. What was wrong with me? Was I sending out some signal? Why didn't he just ask? The answer would have been no, but if he'd backed off then, I wouldn't have become afraid of him. I might have respected him, maybe even liked him. If he tried to get to know me, maybe eventually I would have been comfortable letting him go there. Instead, he scarred another human in the pursuit of second base. A year or so after that night, I was talking on the phone late into the night and was asked by a friend, who was maybe on the verge of becoming a boyfriend, if I was a virgin. He had just told me he wasn't, and I didn't know how to respond. 
I was silent for a long time, internally panicking about what telling the truth would do. So instead, I overcompensated by telling lies about my sexual know-how, which, to the surprise of no one, backfired spectacularly, which set me up for things like this. A boy who was a year older than me came up to me at a party and whispered he wanted to talk to me in private. He was very cute and very popular, and when he led me to the side yard of the house, away from everyone, I was a little excited. But he didn't want to talk to me or kiss me. He very much wanted to put his hand down my pants. I said no. He was a friend, and I like to think that had he been sober, he would have been more respectful, but he was drunk and insistent. He grabbed my hand and sat down in the grass, pulling me down as he did so. He said again what he wanted to do. And again, I said no. He set his beard down and began to negotiate with me. He did that drunken, close-talker thing, rubbing his hand up and down my leg. My back was against a fence. I felt trapped. In an effort to save myself, I agreed to let him put his hand partially down the front of my pants in exchange for me getting to walk away. He agreed, did it with a grotesquely creepy moan, and I bolted. And I felt like I won in that situation. What bothers me most about this example is I was already brainwashed into thinking I needed to stay calm and do whatever it took to survive, mostly unscathed. I was trained to be more concerned about his feelings. I didn't want to be called the names, the ones reserved especially for women. Crazy, hysterical, overreactive, psycho, tease, maniac, bitch. Conversely, a boyfriend who knew I was nervous about taking our relationship to the next level told me, you are the brakes. He was honest about what he wanted, but he let me lead. He always asked me, is this okay? And waited for me to say yes or no. And if the answer was no, he respected me and would not do it. He never acted rejected or entitled. He never pressured me or tried to make me feel guilty for it. I always have felt that was a great gift. Not only did I experience a relationship of reciprocity, I then trusted him implicitly. I didn't find it killed the mood when he asked my permission. In fact, it was the opposite. The willingness to let me guide us into that phase of the relationship, it not only emboldened me, it allowed us to grow together, enjoying those first experiences as a couple because we both knew they were consensual. There have been a lot of conversations surrounding what is and isn't okay regarding intimate contact. Personally, I do not think that it is simply black and white. Every person is different. Every situation is different. However, I do think it could be a starting point for these conversations surrounding consent. Both partners should feel comfortable to say no at any point in time without consequence. I started teaching this to my children early. Whether it was tickling or wrestling or play fighting, no is no is no is no. And if they say stop, you stop. End of discussion. Teaching them that picking on or hurting someone, pulling hair, snapping bras, etc., is not how we show affection. I feel an enormous responsibility to ensure my sons are not continuing the problem, but an active part of the solution. Sometimes I pretend I had the confidence in myself on that phone call to either tell the truth or say, it's none of your business, and not be concerned about what someone else might think of me. I pretend I could say no without fear of consequence, but it took a couple of decades for me to get there. 
and how liberating it is. If you or someone you know is a victim of sexual assault, there is help. Contact the National Sexual Assault Hotline at 1-800-656-HOPE. That's 1-800-656-4673. You also can look to the Rape, Abuse, Incest National Network, RAIN, for resources on their website. You are not alone. Thank you so much for listening. Send me your questions and stories at mysoberlifepodcast at gmail.com. Stay safe, wash your hands, and I'll talk to you soon. Cheers. Cheers.